Welcome to CruxCast. Whether you're in your car, at work, or at home, we hope you enjoy this interview. And if you do, you can find more like it on cruxinvestor.com. So please subscribe. We spoke earlier today to George Salamis, who's the CEO of Integra Resources, a TSXV-listed gold developer. And if you want to hear our thoughts and opinions on that conversation and indeed the company itself, you can find that at cruxinvestor.com forward slash club, where you can also find detailed company reports, market commentary from experts from around the world on a variety of commodities and companies. There are training videos. Uh, there's also summaries of other interviews that we have done just to save you a bit of time. And of course, there's a thriving community of investors on there sharing their thoughts and ideas with each other. George, how are you doing, sir? Great, Matthew. How are you? Very well. Very well, indeed. You look great. You look healthy. Been keeping fit? I've been trying to. Yeah. been trying to. Within reason. You know, and we all, we've all put on the COVID 10 or 20, whatever that phrases but yeah no i've been yes been trying to yeah Unfortunately, it's a little bit more in my case. Uh, fantastic. But well, I'm, I'm glad to hear it. I'm glad to see. You. We haven't spoken since the middle of February. Now, one or two things have happened since then. Do you remember the days when we were slightly worried about the market reset and thinking that's the worst thing that's going to happen this year? Mm-hmm. Remember that? Yes, I do remember. Yeah, maybe a few things have happened since then. Hey, Matthew. I, mean, I think I, so. I think so. We're <laughs> going to talk about some of them. Um, but why don't we kick off, give people a one-minute overview of the business first, and we can pick up on some of those uh, topics. Sure. Uh, so the business is Integra Resources, uh, advanced stage gold uh, project developer, Brownfields Project in southwestern Idaho, uh, past producer, uh, that used to be owned by Kinross. Uh, a lot of gold and silver was produced over a 20-year period by Kinross. It was a project that was shut down during a low gold and silver price environment, late 1990s, early 2000s. And um, we're looking to pick up where they left off because there was a lot of resource that was left behind. Yeah, fantastic. Thank you for that. Um, so I'm not going to go over business plan and management team and so forth. I'll put the link to the previous conversation. We laid that out for us. You're at PA mm-hmm. stage. Um, then we had some we had some numbers which we talked around. I want to talk about what you've been doing since we last uh, talked. So the first thing I noticed was New York listing and a rollback. So why? So the New York listing for us that was responding to. Uh, the sea of U.S. retail shareholders that we would meet it through the course of, of marketing in the U.S. And we would get the comments frequently, you know, Integra's resources main asset is in, is in Idaho. It's in the Western U.S. You know, you need to be listed down here. You need to give we, the pool of retail investors, better access to your stock uh, because some of them can't actually buy stock on the venture exchange in Toronto. And so for us, it was simply a matter of, okay, so we're, we're going to try and capture that, that crowd, if you will, um, of U.S. retail investors. We're quite large, right? And, and, uh, and that's what we did. In fact, our, our liquidity, I would say, since we've listed on the NYSE has almost doubled. Okay. So well, let's, see, let's talk about that in combination with the raise that you did more recently in September, okay? Because um, I'm interested in the share registry and the, the makeup of that. People go and listen on the New York Stock Exchange when they want access to generalist funds um, mm-hmm. who have you know, the ability to write, write bigger ticket sizes to trade more and, as you say, improve liquidity. So the rollback was part of that to kind of meet some of their criteria, was it? So the rollback was designed to keep our share price at a level that was uh, 
that would allow us to remain listed on the NYSE, right? They have a minimum threshold. They have various thresholds. $5 is one, I believe $2 is the, the, the next one. And, you know, if you, if you dip below that, you're in the sin bin, so to speak. And, and so, uh, so yeah, the, the rollback was designed to kind of keep us at that level. And did the retail in Canada, did they, they understand what you were doing there? That was carefully explained to them, was it? Yes, it was. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So let's talk, talk about the money. So who came into the deal? Well, that, that the, uh, the financing was was quite interesting to participate in because it's the first time that we we've done a cross border financing deal. So, with securities marketed in Canada and the U.S. and and saleable in in both jurisdictions, and and uh, it's actually quite smooth. I have to say, the the clearing mechanisms for that style of financing are very quick. Um, just in in the context of a simply sort of Canadian focused financing. You're looking at from announcement to closure and funds in the bank, you know, a two to three week period during which, you know, you're at the mercy of a market to close, right? I mean, if 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 the world goes to hell in a handbasket during that period, you're you're hooped. Um, versus this cross border uh, deal or mechanism, which essentially from announcement to closing uh, is three days, and so it take it, it takes a lot of that risk out of the way. Right. Uh, yes. No kidding. Um, so that was interesting. Also, the the crowd that we attracted by in this financing. Um, so we had 24 institutional uh, players involved. Um, four were existing shareholders. 20 were brand new um, institutions who had never been involved in our stock before. Of that 20, two thirds were U.S. based. And, you know, some were generalist funds, um, some were resource funds. So um, really interesting to see for the first time some generalists starting to play and even a small cap stock, 250 million market cap stock like like Integra. Um, fascinating, really. And so that was we, we view that as a win. Um, the retail demand um, for the 23 million U.S. that we raised was about 13 million U.S. So very large retail demand in the stock. Um, which was ultimately cut back to make way for the institutional players. And so, you know, in the end of the day, it was it was great. It was done quickly, um, well oversubscribed. We didn't reach for the max and get greedy on, you know, the 2x of, of demand that was out there. Um, we we just grabbed what we needed and moved on. Yeah, I think I think it's fascinating. I mean, with the quick turnaround, as a CEO, you can like, brilliant. I don't need to be on an endless roadshow to raise this capital. Good news yeah. for you, right? Get back and focus on what yep. you, you should be focused on. Um, the new generalist funds, and that's fascinating because a company of your size, as you're starting to, you know, you're up there, you know, over 200 million market cap now, you've got to get the balance of the registry right. I mean, so you, you made the decision to cut back on the retail demand why? What, what's that doing for you? Well, so what it, uh, it it sadly it favors the institutions because the in institutions are the kind of the the big check writers that you know we need now and we'll need in the future, obviously. Um, and it they tend to be the sort of the sticky money types. But you still need you still need retail churn to keep you know that, that's your your daily liquidity uh, base, if you will. So you still need to kind of focus on that, but. You know, you're quite right. It's a balance in the end, end of the day, um, which uh, which you have to manage. And we have some some smart people who advise us on that. Yeah, yeah, okay. Uh, 
Talk to me about, I mean, share price has been gone up a buck since we spoke to you. It was about 325, you know, over 425. You know, it's, it's been nice, steady, you know, 30%, you know, uh, increase, lovely. Um, what do you think the Trump-Biden ongoing and potentially, you know, long ongoing, uh, you know, political infighting is going to do for mining companies, not 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 just yours, because it's um, you know, I, you know, I don't want to make this a political statement, but I, it, you know, we've seen gold affect most gold companies that's come off as gold prices drop, but it also seems to be the market is waiting for the result of this election, which seems like it might go on for a bit longer than one had hoped. And what's your take mm. on all of that? Well, so in the run-up to the election, you know, we definitely uh, saw our, our liquidity sort of fall off. And that's not just Integra. That's, I believe, sort of the broader base of, of junior mining stocks. And I would, I think it, it sort of applies to all the resource stocks. We, you know, the trading liquidity start to dry up there for us, say, in October. Um, and we're still seeing that. And uh, sadly, as of this morning, where it looks like there's still a lot of indecision as to who the clear winner is. So for as long as that goes on, um, you know, I think every, there's going to be a bit of a dampening effect on on not just Integra, or, uh, but other stocks. Great buying opportunity because once there's a decision there, a clear cut decision, uh, a Biden win or a Trump win, both of those scenarios look really good for the gold market in general. So, you know, it's, we view it as a buying opportunity now. And um, that's that's basically it. Just one decision. That's it. Any decision. Yes, we just wanted to correct. Yes. Okay. Well, I hope we, we uh, get an announcement in the next couple of days and not over the next couple of weeks. That'll be painful for everyone, all concerned. Um, okay, well, let, let's start talking about the, the company itself, okay? Um, Last time we spoke, we talked through the PEA numbers, really solid. I mean, just remind people what you were looking at on the, in the PEA. Yeah, so the PEA was was a snapshot in time of September last year um, of 2019 when the gold price was at, you know, we used a gold price input of 1350. We used 1690 silver as a, as a basis of cash flow computation. And... Um, you know, with uh, with a modest amount of upfront capex, 150 million US, we were able to achieve a production level of about 125,000 ounces per annum gold equivalent, which 80% of that is sort of made up by gold, 20% is silver, and um, really strong NPV, um, as I said, NPV five of 350 US IRR of post tax of 43%. So really sort of strong, robust return on something that looks like a relatively modest capex. And we we purposefully went down that road of what kind of project would we Integra build if this was our first mine to be built? In other words, um, what kind of project could we afford to finance and build ourselves? Um, not necessarily the largest project that we could have shown to our investors, but something that we could credibly finance and build. And that's what last year's PA was, was all about. Um, Aiming at the, the pre-feasibility study, which is uh, destined to to land um, first quarter of uh, sorry fourth quarter of next year, we'll be looking at a larger production profile for sure. Um, really focusing on a very large base load of of heap leachable oxide and transitional mineralization, 
and um, looking at a larger sulfide treatment facility relative to the one that we had in the PA. Okay, so but, but I think last time you were talking about four and a half million ounces resource, right? And you were saying that suited the market then because it left something on the table for people to think, well, this, this is kind of looking interesting for us that so we can capture some value down, you know, further down the, the uh, food chain. Now you're saying you're going to present it differently. What, what, what's, what's changed since the beginning of the year in terms of the way you want to present the company? Who are you talking to? We're, we're, so we're talking to two different crowds. One, one is the, the, the crowd that likes to see growth um, from a production point of view or potential production uh, point of view. And, and then sort of talking to, if we don't decide to build this asset ourselves, we're talking to the potential buyer. And you know the potential buyer at 125,000 ounces per annum is, I would say, limited to the crowd of junior gold producer, mid-tier gold producer. Whereas what we're targeting in this PFS, which is well north of 125,000 ounces, then you start to, to attract a, a larger potential acquirer. Not to say that we're going simply down the track of all we're going to do is sell this thing and, and walk away. We we love the optionality of being able to build this project ourselves or on sell it to somebody who's willing to you know pay a premium for it and um, that's what we did in integra gold and that, that's what we're doing at integra resources but we are very definitely pitching to uh, a larger cap uh, buyer right and are you in, going in this pfs okay, because I get the two different markets that you're having to appease. You're running a company. It's never easy. So, But the retail guys are going to be saying to you, hey, you're leaving. Uh, you're not dealing with a silver uh, problem here because you could be recovering more silver, surely. But at the same time, you also got to, I say, leave something on the table for the, for the next guy, the, 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 the mid-tier. He might be interested in you. So how, how are you balancing that up? What, what would you say technically about your capabilities of solving the silver problem? Yeah, that's amazing, right? Because when, you know, in, in September of 2019, silver wasn't a big factor. Um, we used 1690 as a silver price uh, input into into our modeling. Nobody was really fussed by the fact that we were only recovering, say, 40%, 35, 40% odd silver in the, in, the, in the heap leach. And that's not just us as a heap leach, by the way. That's not a problem with the ore deposit. That's just, that's just the nature of silver in a heap leach. Um, Funny how there was a massive sentiment change when silver went from $16 to $28. All of a sudden, I started to feel these questions. Hey, you're leaving so much silver behind. Like, what's the deal? What are you going to do with all this silver? There's there's potential revenue in that. And and quite rightly so. So that's why the PFS is, is going to look at various uh, trade-offs of, you know, maybe, maybe we focus on putting some higher grade silver material through a mill, recovering it better because we know the silver recoveries through the milling scenario that Kinross ran for 20 years were really good, 80, 80-85% overall recovery versus 35 to 40% on a heap leach. That's your, there's a big difference there. So we'll be looking at those trade-off studies in, in the PFS. That's what a PFS is for. It, it's, it's the, it gives you the ability to Look at what are what are my development options, and there's always a cost benefit to this, right? It's it's a trade-off analysis of of capital and operating costs versus scale and and metal recovery. Absolutely. So, can you talk to me about the scale? 
Because again, if you're talking to a mid-tier, you're going to need to show them that this this is very, very attractive. How much of the recent fundraise are you going to be allocating to proving up the scale? So the, the, the scale is going to get proven up simply put by including resources uh, in this upcoming PFS study that were not in the PA. So just recall that um, we only use of the 4.4 million ounces of total gold equivalent uh, resource that we had, we only used 1.8 uh, of that. So that left, uh, that leaves a lot on the table for us to work with. Um, specifically, there's there's two avenues where we believe that scale will grow. One is obviously from including more oxide and transitional material into the heap leach. So maybe 27,000 tons a day of, of heap leachable uh, mineralization becomes larger. So there we go, more sort of higher production rate from that. Um, also, there was, there was a component of sulfide from the Delamar deposit proper, which we did not include in the in the PEA study, um, that we're now guiding our shareholders toward, hey, you know, if we start to look at including some of, you know, a million and a half ounces plus of sulfide at, at Delamar proper into, into a, a mine plan and a production facility in the PFS, that's going to uptick our, our production. So we're, we're sort of pointing our investors towards something that looks like 175 to, to 200,000 ounces uh, of gold equivalent production per annum. Wow. That's a nice big uptick. Yep. Uh, meaningful, for sure. Yeah, for sure. Um, can you talk to me about um, continued drilling at Florida Mountain and also the IP anomaly there, please? Yeah. So, um, so we've been drilling steadily at, at Florida for the last, oh, we started in June. Uh, well, yeah, I mean, there was a delay due to, to COVID. Obviously, we had to get our act together and, and get in sync with, uh, with our drill contractor. But we've had, we've had pretty much two, two drill rigs operating since June, July. Um, our hit rate of high grade below the deposit has been about 50%, um, which from a geologist's point of view is, is stellar. Right. Basically, what you're doing is you're you're firing darts blindly into the never never of of the lower guts of a mountain below a resource um, where you've got no information other than projections of where you think this high grade is going to be. And if you're hitting that high grade 50 percent of the time, that's a that's a darn good hit rate from an exploration point of view. So that's that's what we've been doing um, at Florida and we'll continue to do that. This next phase of exploration at Florida will now start to look at, it'll move away from that high grade focus. It'll now start to look at bulk tonnage, uh, additional ounces, if you will, that can be brought into a future mine plan. Like what I like to call the low hanging fruit. Yes, the retail investment crowd likes the high grade uh, intercepts. I personally see more value in incremental um, low-grade bulk tonnage resources bolted onto the fringes of a mine plant because you can bring those ounces into a mine plant and into a development scenario far quicker than you can high-grade. Yeah, I'd agree agree with that. That, Actually, that's quite interesting because the next question was about, it kind of comes back to a question I or asked about the 23 million, how you allocate that in terms of the best use of money because let's face it, your track record suggests that you will monetize this, you're not going to get into production. You're going to monetize, you're going to find an, an interesting partner to come in and take this off your hands. So how do you balance that conversation 
with managing the market, focusing where your dollars go to give you the biggest bang for your buck. Because that, that conversation about, yeah, the, the, don't let's not forget the bulk tonnage stuff here because your press releases have got all these high grades in there. They're fantastic. You look very, yep. very sexy, George. But it's, a, <laughs> it's about the size of the ore body and how do you maximize it? So what are those conversations internally? What are those debates internally? So the, the debates internally right now is 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 expiration resource allocation to high grade versus bulk tonnage low grade, and and again it leads back to what I said earlier about yeah the the the, the market really loves to see these high grade intercepts. Uh, I don't believe that the market fully understands what it takes to bring those high grade intercepts into a mine plan, and that. Just not for us. I mean, there are some some high grade market darlings out there where there's a lot of retail focus on because they get these glitzy high grades, not knowing, perhaps of course, what it's going to take to bring those high grade resources into a mine plan. So yeah, so for us, it's 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 ba- it's that balancing act of how much are we willing to lay on the line um, of expiration for high grade versus that bulk tonnage low grade intercept, which to me has far more value. Than, than that high-grade narrow intercept in the end of the day. So, so for us, the internal debate is resource allocation um, of expiration dollars to those two while we generate new targets. Um, and then the other 50% of our budget, roughly speaking, is the de-risking study aspect, which is the pre-feasibility process itself. Which, is, which you're targeting for Q4 next year. Correct. But it's going to, we're hearing, it's going to follow roughly the lines of the, the strategy you just outlined. That's what we should expect to see at the end of next year with the economics. Yes. Yeah. So, so for those who ask, you know, what's, what is the expiration uh, budget look like for next year? It's going to look roughly the same as this year did, which was sort of a, of a total budget 50-50 allocation between expiration and feasibility level studies um, to de-risk the project essentially. And then what? And then we keep on trucking. So then we, uh, <laughs> okay. And what? Um, so and then what for us looks like? We've we've got a, a really good indication with the level of certainty at a PFS level what the project could look like. We then, at that stage, have a platform to start our permitting iterations on. So and then what looks like a submission of what's called a plan of operations, where you're declaring to the permitting authorities, this is the area that we plan to to develop on. And that becomes your basis of permitting for the next two and three years. This is the box that we're going to be developing in. Um, these are the, the reclaimed areas that we're looking at opening up production on. This is where the infrastructure is going to go, et cetera. That's what the and then what piece looks like. The other pieces of and then what also look like for us um, continue to explore, man. It's, it's, you know, we, the hit rate, success rate has been really good out there. Why would we stop, stop the music? Um, you know, just keep that going. Um, continue to show resource growth and these other avenues of, of, of exploration potential and upside. Never stop the music, George. Never stop the music. Never stop the music. I, I'm looking at your guitar in the background. I can, I, I can see the inspiration. Um, George, <laughs> thanks very much for running through that. It's uh, it's great to see you guys you know, staying on track. Clear plan. Uh, you know what you want to try and do, um, and, the, and the, you know the drill results uh, still still working in your favor. So, 
It's all good news. Good luck with the rest of this year, for sure. Stay in touch if there's anything big that's happening. We'd love to hear from you. You know, we left it too long this time. Um, we'll speak soon, okay? Yes. yes, indeed. Stay fit and stay healthy, Matthew. Thank you for listening. If you've enjoyed the interview, why not subscribe to Cruxcast or our website, cruxinvestor.com, and of course, our YouTube channel, Crux Investor. Plus, you can catch us most days on Twitter and LinkedIn. We really love getting your feedback, so please keep it coming and we'll speak to you again soon.